All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. They're coming to get you, Barbara. I ate his liver with some fava beans and a nice Chianti. Here's Johnny. Vanity. Definitely my favorite city. I am the devil, and I am here to do the devil's work. The power of Christ compels you! This is my boomstick! What's your favorite scary movie? What up, whoreheads, and welcome to Shiver, a horror movie podcast. We are your hosts, I'm Daniel DeBona. And I'm David Uyoa. And we are continuing our fantastic fan fest this summer with a first-time guest and a recent fan of the show, but has really done his research, gone back through, listened to a ton of stuff. We've got Greg coming to us from Southern California. Greg, how are you, man? Hey, guys, doing fantastic. How are you guys doing? Man, just happy to be here. We were, you know, we were supposed to do this last week. We appreciate you being, uh, we appreciate you being patient. Dave had dental surgery last week. Yeah, and I had a toilet. <laughs> damn near just explode i had to, i had to replace the toilet last wednesday I've, I've told you about going to taco bell dude <laughs> yeah it was it was a problem so uh so we are taking advantage of the summer and getting to meet some of our fans and uh we are going to be doing the movie dead alive as suggested by greg but greg before we get into that we always like people when they come on for the first time to tell us a little bit about how they got into horror so I mean, what started your love for the horror movie genre when you go back through it? You know, I don't think my story is super unique. I think uh, there was a fascination growing up with the uh, with the video store era, walking through the horror section and just being Absolutely. completely enthralled by looking at the cover art. I've, I've heard you guys talk about the cover art. And yeah. I mean, some of these old movies just probably some of the cover is better than the movies themselves, but it just got me hooked. <laughs> I have to know what's going on. <laughs> oh, those. I, I think. I, oh, yeah. I think I had a, a babysitters growing up and I would say, hey, you know, what horror movies have you seen? I'd say, walk me through. I need to know everything that happened. I'm too terrified <laughs> to watch them myself, but I need to know every step of the movie. So, Yeah, that, that I mean, again, it's another, I mean, like if we were keeping tally, that the, the art, the artwork at the video yep. store, it, it pops up time after time. Like for, yep. I mean, just for people our age, that, that seems to be because it was, it was, it was eye catching. That's what everybody always wanted to see. Yeah. Uh, so we're happy to have you here, man. And you have recommended one that we were supposed to do last November, almost a year ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were going to do the movie Dead Alive and uh, kind of fell apart at the last minute. So now here we are. I mean, so starting off, the thing about Dead Alive is, I mean, a lot of words get thrown around when people talk about this movie. People say it's crazy. It's violent. It's an absurd farce. It's totally batshit insane. So, I mean, the question that we have to start off with is, I mean, what how, what words do you use to describe it? And, I mean, what do you think of the movie, Greg? Uh, you know, I, I would say, and this has been done, but I, I would say fun. It's a fun yeah. movie. Yeah. Um, I would say what gets to me is the creativity, the creativity behind every gore scene. It's not, you know, it's, it's just fresh, and, you know, we'll probably get to that later, but the, the fresh ideas of how can we kill this person? How can we use as much blood as possible? It's creative. It's fun. It's uh, they did a great job, and you know, some pretty probably pretty twisted minds had to come up with some of these things, but it worked out for us all. So, dude, uh, twisted, twisted just just scratches the surface of this one, <laughs> yes. right? 
Dave, what do you think, man? What, what, how do you describe this one? There is no movie like Dead Alive. It, it's uh, it's it's in a category all unto its own because the the comedy horror genre is um, it's huge. All right, right. There's uh, there's a it's a veritable cornucopia of, um, of 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 comedy horrors. And the first one that always comes to mind for me is 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 always Return of the Living Dead. To, to me, that's the gold standard. But the thing is, Return of the Living Dead is working with a budget that Dead Alive couldn't have even dreamed of having. Right. Um, but that that idea of let's have fun and we're going to do this in a way where you're having as much fun as, as we are on this level. There's nothing like this because it is actually executed well. And that's, that's the difference between this movie and um, basically every other movie that attempts to do this same thing. Um, I've seen a lot of comedy horrors where it's like, okay, well, we don't really have a lot of budget, so uh, we're going to do gross out and we're just going to go so over the top that like um, we're actually saving money by having so much blood and so much guts. Like there's so much to look at that you actually can't tell that the effect is shit. Right. Right. Um, it, it, it's it never sells that way. Um, you have to have the right amount of humor in the horror for it to work. And. Peter Jackson fucking nails it here. And I think that people often forget that Peter Jackson had a career before Lord of the Rings and his career was this. I mean, it was movies like this. It was always in that like weird sort of comedy horror area where it was lots of special effects. I mean, that was his thing. So it takes a visionary like him to make a piece of shit movie like this. <laughs> fucking rocks because that's really what this is this movie is an anomaly it's not yeah. a good movie this is not a good movie this is something that roger corman would have made in the 60s he could have uh but there would have been a ton more sex that's yes. the only difference um it is the perfect amount of gross out the perfect amount of laughing the perfect amount of um family trauma i mean it's it, it's it's kind of great it's it's almost like um it sits in this weird realm um but just slightly askew um like i think of the perfect movie like the movie you can put on for anyone uh movies like the princess bride like romancing the stone like raiders of the lost ark like these are movies that anyone can watch and really appreciate and i feel like this sits just underneath there because there's there's so, so much of everything in this movie. There's romance. There's um uh there there is obviously horror, but there's humor. Um, there's drama. You know, there's there's something here for everyone. If you watch this movie and say I hated the whole thing, I can't fucking be your friend. Like, right. That's just you know, that's the way it is. That's science. Yeah. This this there's there's two big things that that I would use to describe this movie. One is this movie is bizarrely self aware. I mean, this is yeah. this movie is just insanely meta 
without ever being meta. Like, but it is it is very aware of what it is every single second of this movie. Mm-hmm. It never attempts to be anything that it's not. It never tries to go high concept, even when it's presenting no. these these lofty ideas of of romance and and you know just and and love and tr- you know just bizarre family trauma and stuff like that you know even and as we get into the story even when you get like a real quick like 90 second recap of a whole b storyline in this family trauma even though it's shoehorned in there it still kind of makes sense and it's it's a very cathartic moment for that character so it's it's movie is like I said, it is it is awesomely self-aware uh from the character's to the story itself, to the the shots and the camera angles, just every second of this movie, Peter Jackson knew exactly what the movie he wanted to make was. And that's always something that we end up leaning on when we find these movies that we like a lot are movies that don't struggle to find any sort of identity. Mm-hmm. Movies that didn't fall victim to their budget and had to change halfway through or things start slacking or there's no consistency. And this movie starts off one way and ends just in a just perfect denouement of that type of movie. It is, it is amazingly aware of what it is and what it wants to be, which you're right. It puts it on a level that on the surface, this movie should not be able to approach, but no. like you, you should, you should not, when a, qu- a quick glance of the movie Dead Alive, you should not be mentioning it in the same breath with some of those other movies that you just did, like The Princess Bride. But at the same time, it makes sense to do that. Mm-hmm. And so I-, I think that it is it is amazingly and awesomely self-aware. I think that the other thing that this movie, if, if I had to, as, as we are wont to do on this show, it's, and you mentioned Roger Corman, this movie's trauma-esque. I mean, yep. it's, it's, this is the, this is New Zealand's version of the Toxic Avenger, right? This is, this is what trauma films maybe could have done if they'd taken themselves a little bit more seriously. Like well, I, He, he kind of was the Kaufman of... New Zealand. Yeah, you know? exactly. Like every every country has like their guy, yeah. you know, who does like that thing. Um, you know, uh like Poland has Roman Polanski, you know, and he does like the Martin Scorsese thing. And now he's know? gotta stay there. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, um, and so it's just it, it's they it's it's such a bizarre thing with this much gore to 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 present it in a way where it's it's gross out but it's never gross right it's just it's just insane like and and we'll, we'll get into just some of the really weird things that they do with involving all the gore as this movie went on but i just every time i watch this movie i'm just blown away at how silly little things just really play into exactly what they wanted to do. Like I said, things just like camera angles or just the looks on, on actors faces and stuff like that. These people knew exactly what they were supposed to do. And if they didn't, Peter Jackson put them on the exact track to make the movie that he wanted. And I'm, I'm just, I'm amazed by this movie and I I laugh harder every single time I watch it. Um, 
before we move on, I just want to tell you that I am so wet over you using the term denouement. Uh, <laughs> number one, pronounced correctly. And number two, used correctly. Um, but here's the thing, is that you're right in that this movie should not have any seat at a table where you're discussing um, literature, storytelling, uh, you know, uh, narratives. It shouldn't. And yet it does. Right. <laughs> and, and that's because the story works. So in a section that we're calling and the rest is history, um, we've got here a, a paper thin, really, um, premise, right? Bunch of giant raps, rapes some monkeys, and now their bite causes zombieism. That's the setup that you need, and you need nothing more, right? Um, so it's kind of easy to dismiss this thing as just the setup. And it's easy to dismiss everything else that happens as just the setup to the party where everything is going to go down, right? Um, but is there something to the plot here? Is there is there something here that maybe surprises you? Um, like Daniel, you said that you know you watch this movie and every time you're surprised, every time there's something else that you're you're finding out about this movie. So Greg, I'm going to throw it back to you as is customary for our guest. Um, what about this story? Does it for you, or doesn't? You know, I mean, like you said, it's 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 thin, it's, it's simple, um, but you know, so going back. When I watched this as a kid, I had no idea there was any ties to the Skull Island. I didn't realize that there was any of that, uh, any of that. So watching it, I'm like, wait, wait, Skull Island, you know, what, what's going on? <laughs> so there, there's something with that. So I, I tried to, just first off, I tried to go do as much research as I could on this, this rat monkey to see what, <laughs> why would it create a zombie? Like what, what? And I can find nothing. I, I know there's a reference in, um, you're and kidding. There's, there's nothing. Actually, there's nothing. There's <laughs> so there's I was there's actually a book of the uh, natural history of Skull Island. It's, it's like a 20 or a 2005 book from King Kong. And they even reference this thing, but they basically just say it's a little rodent they had on the island. It was uh, food for some of the uh, water dwelling uh, uh, larger animals, but there's no reference to why a bite from this would do anything beyond a, be a just a bite. So, I I don't know I I I don't know where that came up, but as far as you know, like you said, creature bites somebody, creates a, uh, a plague or a, a disease, and and we see the repercussions of that. So, I I don't know I I'm not the uh, the English guy here, so I, I'm not <laughs> fully uh, diving into the depths of it, but I. I listen to your guys' show because you guys have amazing insight on these things. And I'm kind of like, oh, I didn't, I didn't, I never caught that. So I'm actually kind of ready for what you guys have to say. Yeah. All right. Well, there's, I mean, the thing about this story that we're given here is we're given a very relatable guy in Lionel and mm -hmm. seeing just kind of what. A, a day in his life is like and about how something that starts off so small uh, could be so dramatic and just dramatically affect everything in his life. My favorite part of the story that we get here is this really bizarre um, 
trauma response relationship that Lionel has with his mother. And the fact that they, she has created this environment where she is dependent on him. So she has created this farcical idea that they are codependent on each other and that she, he has to have her as much as she has to have him. And we eventually find out that all of this is not the response. It's not response to the trauma that we're led to believe. We're, we're, we're told very early in the movie that his dad died saving him when he fell off up here at the beach. And that, that's why him and his mom have this relationship. And, and, it, and it is the way that it is. We eventually find out that he actually witnessed his mom killing his dad and, and her mistress. But so you, you find out that there, the, the layer beyond just not wanting to let your son go also becomes you have to control every element of his life because you have to forever convince him that he remembers your version of the story. And so you end up with seeing this guy who starts off just broken. He, he doesn't have any life of his own. He exists only to keep his mom happy. And every time something starts to go right for him, she has to get in the way. But what's really interesting about the way the story is presented and how well it is portrayed by, uh, by Lionel is the fact that even when theoretically she should be out of the way, his complete inability to further that part of his life, he can't get past everything that's with her even though you know she's dead she's just a monster in the basement that he is keeping tranquilized and but he can't get past that because you it, it it's so ingrained in him that he has no world outside his mom i mean you look at lionel you look at paquita this dude has to know that he's out kicked his coverage by a mile. Oh yeah. This this chick should have <laughs> nothing to do with him, right? But thanks to Grandma and her tarot cards, she's about it. And he he gets that, but he can't even let that be a driving factor to separate him from this bizarre relationship that he has with his mom. And his complete inability to let go drives so much of this story. Because if if he would have just followed through with and just poisoned her at the very beginning or just just let her you know and just and just let it happen let her die hell keep the cop keep the casket screwed shut and put her in the ground then you know then things might have played out differently but he always even in her death and the creation of this monster he still finds it his task to make sure that she's comfortable and that she's she's getting what she wants. So he's just keeping her tranquilized. You know, he's even trying to do it when she's, like I said, buried. And so there's a really interesting angle portrayed here about the effect that trauma can have on a, um, a child and, and parent relationship and how it can be manipulated and twisted. So that is what I always take away from this when I watch is seeing just how terrible his mom is and the fact that he is so broken and abused from his relationship with her. He can't function without her. I'm glad that you brought all that up 
because there were two things that I wanted to mention when it came to this story, because my, my brain sucks and all it does is ever overanalyze things. Um, I wish I knew how to turn it off. I can't even fucking watch family guy without this thing just turning. Right. So that was the first bit that I was like, okay, well this, this is, um, I think one of the more interesting things that's going on with this story, but a hot take. All right. There's another thing going on with this story. And I think it has to do with man's um, obsession, whether it be love or fear of pussy. Are you going to get Freudian on us right now? Huh? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm getting very <laughs> Freudian here. Um, this is why I listen to the show. This is good stuff. <laughs> it ha- it, I mean, it, it has everything to do with this, right? Because um, if you if you watch the movie with this lens, it becomes a really interesting deep dive into the psyche of a man who is afraid his entire life of interacting with the vagina because the very thing that he does to keep his mother alive is to keep sex away. Right. So he's the, and his mother, which he fears, right. The relationship he has with her is strictly, she's the person who gave birth to me. So that relationship begins and ends with the vagina. Right. And it's no mistake that where he ends up when she consumes him at the end of the movie is in her womb. Checking that off the list of things I was going to mention. So, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's it's such a it's such a gross, but also such a um, thoughtful place for the hero of your story to end up like she doesn't eat him. Um, and then you can't be so gross as to just shove them back up in there. Right. right? Like that's a little too on the nose there. But <laughs> if her entire stomach, like thing style, just opens up her entire torso and then it just closes in on him. It's like, fuck, he's gone back to the womb. Right. And 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 that's exactly what this movie's about. It's about man. Right. In the general term. Right. And um, as, as in like the 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 gender, the the sex man, um, our fear of that first sexual encounter, because this is a coming of age story, you know, he can be in his 30s. That's fine. It's still a coming of age story because people come of age all the time. Right. Uh, I've got friends. I'm 36. I've got friends that still haven't come of age. So like you know, th- there is no too late for coming of age. And so he's been putting off sexual experiences his entire life because he is afraid of vagina. And because the only vagina that he can have in his life is the one that gave birth to him. And that vagina rules by fear. And so his thought is if I fear that I'm going to fear the other. And that's why, and that's why he pushes away Paquita. Right. And um, because you're right, like she is so way out of his league, like they're not even playing the same sport. Right. You know, and um, 
when this like he doesn't even know what the fuck is happening at first. You know, he's like, oh, you want to go out on a date? OK, you know, and, and she kind of sees that she's the one who has to kind of push this along. And she seems like uh, not like a girl with loose morals to keep it, you know, in the 1950s uh, you know, <laughs> uh, uh, lingo. No, you know, she really. seems like she's yeah, she seems like a perfectly normal girl. And and she she's just like, I, I need to make this happen because he's not going to do anything. And I know that that's the guy that I'm going to be spending the rest of my life with because right. she is also beholden to something, too. She is beholden to her culture, right? To, to the tradition, the, the tradition, right? It's the tradition of your fate is set for you, and even though this guy and, and like this this like hunky delivery dude was just there, she pays no attention to this guy, right? In fact, when he goes to save her from uh, from Lionel later, you know, it, nothing registers. And right. by all accounts, this is a guy who she should be with, right? Mm -hmm. But he's not our hero, and he's not the one who needs to overcome a fear of vagina. So um, I really like that reading of this story. I think that it makes it really interesting. It gives it some layers that I think Peter Jackson might have had when he was doing this because it seems way too intentional right. for, me, for, for that not to be there because mm – -hmm. If someone else picks something up in a story, you obviously put it down in some way or another. I mean, there's some things that are just they're reaches. I don't think this is that much of a reach. Well, and I like the uh, the idea that we get two very different people who are, like you said, beholden to their cultures. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's easy to it's easy to to just look at somebody following um uh, you know a tarot card from their grandmother and be like oh well that's just a plot device but when you when you look into the 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 depth of that type of occultism and those types of readings and stuff like that there are plenty of cultures that consider these things to be gospel like yeah. when what the cards say and so I was really impressed by the fact that it never, that was one area of the movie that never became a joke. It was never, it was never, uh, it was never comical that she was so stuck on having to be with Lionel because that's what the card said. It was presented in a very respectful way of this is what grandma says has to happen. Grandma can read the cards. This is what will happen. And then Paquita, like you said, picking up the slack to be like, all right, well, this guy ain't going to make it happen. So, you know, because what? It was, yeah, it was mid-50s, mid right, is when this was supposed to be yeah. taking place. Yeah. yeah, so for her so for her to just bow up and be like, oh, yeah, I'll, let me climb up. The, I brought your jacket back. Let me climb. You know, it was, it was a lot of those, like, Romeo and Juliet tropes, you know, turned upside down. She's the one climbing up a trellis right. and meeting him up on the balcony. <laughs> you know, she's the one coming in through the bedroom window when he's and he's the one making sure his mom is still asleep. It's so many of those things that we've seen the other way because she was driven. It was it was her call to action was this this tarot reading. And it's, you know, so often in movies, that's a that's a trope that's just written off as something silly or something evil. Uh, and for this, for it to just be, it's, it's just, it's just what happened. And, you know, so then you get into that idea of, well, did the, is she, is this happening because the cards told her or 
did they guide her and then she made it happen? You know, so were they were they portents of the future or were they the nudge that she needed to create her own destiny? So you you get this really fun push off of something really simple as that tarot reading at the beginning that's never portrayed in any light, good or bad. It's just there. Like it's just part of life. And I, I love when you when something like that is taken and it's not a plot device that it that's any that's abnormal compared to anything else in the movie. Yeah, no, it, it actually is part of her character. And um it is it is handled well. It's yeah. not um yeah, yeah. Good so I mean, so we're, we're talking about Lionel. We're talking about Paquita. So in in, uh, in our next section here that we're calling Zombie Babies and Kung Fu Priests, I mean, regardless of what you think about the story for the movie or how deep you want to get into the Freudian psychology of it all, you can't ever say, when, even if you don't like this movie, you cannot say that it is not chock full of memorable characters yeah so greg when you look at the bizarre cast of people that we got here man like who who are you going to oh, always man. remember well you know so watch the movie i i was kind of split with the uh the baby like selwyn i think i saw so yeah initially i was like this is the worst thing i've ever seen and then by the end i was like this might be the best part of the movie like, yeah I mean, it was it was i love when it's obviously just like a kind oh, of yeah. short dude running in pajamas. <laughs> I mean the, uh, the the kicking of the of the completely limp doll in the air. There's, I mean, yeah. it's, it's so terrible. But and and the whole reason you're like, why is he taking this zombie baby out for like a play date? Like, why? What what is this? Like, there's it makes no. It's not it's not the baby's the thing, fault I mean. that it's a zombie. Yeah. You know, like <laughs> ch children sure, need sure. that FaceTime. It's yes, yes, and, uh, and, and that that, that brings up something later in the movie, actually. Yeah, if you the if you time, were yeah. if you were to replace um, Timothy Balmay, the guy who played uh, Lionel, with Rowan Atkinson, that was a Mr. Bean sketch. Uh, yeah, without yeah. a doubt, that yeah. entire playground play date was a Mr. Bean sketch. Oh man, I mean, down to the. Uh, the clearly adult voice they used for the baby. It was yeah. just, okay. I mean, the whole movie, I, I love the, uh, just as a note, during the, the early zoo scene, just the movie is just like a, it's kind of like a Mr. Bean-esque, like, dude, dude, dude. It's just, yeah. it's ridiculous. It's just designed to be, to be funny. So the, uh, and obviously uh, kicking ass for the Lord. I mean, you can't, how are you ever going to forget that? That is the that is the line of the movie. I kick Dude, ass for the is, Lord. Father Magruder is what happens when you when you're like a year into your D and D campaign and your cleric is just gotten <laughs> bored. He's like, you know what? Taking a level of monk, y'all can all kiss my ass. I'm tired of hanging out in the back. <laughs> like, Father Magruder is one of the weirdest but most fun characters. Like like that was. That was Shaolin level martial arts that he suddenly yeah. knew. <laughs> yep, that was phenomenal. And then, uh, oh, I have to uh, the uh, uh, the line. I, I will never forget the. You, I can't get that high, but your mom ate my dog. <laughs> I will never forget that. I think I listened to that over and over. Not all of it. Not all of it. Not all of it. Not all of it. 
Um, yeah, you know, I, I, I think I have to approach this as my favorite living characters and then my favorite undead characters. Um, and my favorite living character, like there is no question, I think, that the actress who steals the show, every scene that she's in is Elizabeth Moody as Lionel's mom, Vera Cosgrove. Yeah. She manages to be every bit as twisted and demented as what I imagine Norma Bates would have been. Um, uh, I mean, yeah, there was the TV show and all that, but, you know, just going off of that initial psycho, right? right. Because we had psycho and we had psycho two and maybe psycho three at that time, but we still had not seen um, like Norma Bates. We still hadn't seen her. So um, I imagine that this is what, what Jackson was doing. He was like, all right, we're going to see, uh, you know, the Bates relationship here. Um, and that's kind of what we have is we have a Norma and Norman, but we get to see them actually interact with one another. Right. Um, and so I, I really, really like that and what she brings to the role, the way that she manages to be sinister and funny at the same time, the way that she manages to be matronly, but also childish. It's uh, it's a, it's an incredible balancing act that she's doing there because she, she needs to be the villain. And so she needs to be evil, but she also understood the assignment. And so she needs to be comedic. And um, I don't think I've ever seen her in, in much else. I'm, I'm looking there was through. something about her. Uh, face. Oh, Frighteners. Yeah, she was in Frighteners. Yeah, she was in Frighteners. Um, and I and I guess she had a part in like the director's cut of one of the Lord of the Rings movies. There was something about her mm -hmm. face and her voice that I was I was like, I swear I've seen her in something other than Frighteners. But I went through her IMDb and could not place what it was. Yeah, you know. So clearly, she's a New Zealand actress. You know, right. who uh, who Jackson knew. You know, from from probably doing student films and was able to get her to, to, to work with him. Um, but she is, I think a cut above the rest. There is something professional about her. Uh, every scene that she's in is elevated because she's in it. Um, and then I, I think the best thing about her is that transition from dead to undead. Uh, when, when she, I mean, she, it's kind of sad because it looks like she's having a stroke, like for real. But then right. she's, a good, she's a good actress, you know. <laughs> but that that scene where you know there she's she's having the women's league, the WLWL over, <laughs> you know, um, for for lunch. I mean, it is just piss your pants funny. It's oh it's, it's hysterical, and it's it's a, yeah, it's it's a lot of of Lionel making the faces and being nervous and awkward. There's a lot of that, but it's mostly the way that she is just commanding the room without commanding the room. It's, it's great. And then the, 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 when the ear falls into the pudding and you know, the, the boil that bursts and it goes all over. Oh man, it's just fucking outstanding. Um, kudos, kudos to her. And that then, earring like, didn't even slow her down. She's, not at all. Not a bit. No, no, man. Like I, I you mentioned, I, I just had, um, uh, I had a tooth extracted, a, a wisdom tooth extracted. Um, I can't possibly imagine how strong her teeth are <laughs> that like she could just go to town on that pearl, you know, <laughs> fuck me, man. Because like I had a bagel yesterday and I was like, oh, my God, ah. 
I, I, oh, th- 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 that's next level. They don't make them like they used to. <laughs> um, and then as as an undead, uh, for me, it, it, it has to go to, to Zombie Father Magruder, um, which is actually not played by the same actor who played Living Father Magruder. Yeah, um, uh, same, same thing with um, with uh, Vera. Uh, mm-hmm, Zombie right. Vera was played by somebody else as well. Yeah, um, she still provided the voice, yeah. but the 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 actual you know the stand-in was someone else. Um, but uh, his name is Stephen Paps. I, did I get that right? Stephen Paps. Yeah, Zombie Father Magruder. Um, man, I mean, Father Magruder is a close second for me. But like when it comes to the undead, this guy just fucking nonstop. Every scene he's in is hysterical. Um, the the way that like this man of the cloth that you have to imagine like is a you know very you know buttoned up and very you know conservative person you know is looking over at the nurse like, hey, are we gonna fuck or what? You know, <laughs> like I absolutely <laughs> love that scene where where she she literally like sucks his lips off. <laughs> and um and, and and they're they're just going to town and then uncle les comes in and he goes oh you found your father's old films did you you know like it everything about is, it is that the is... one with the donkey in the chamber <laughs> <laughs> oh man just just perfect what about you daniel um for me i mean you know we we've talked a lot about lionel and 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 you know for for good reason uh, the guy who the guy who played Lionel Timothy Balmain, like he just he so perfectly encapsulates this, like you said, th- this this nerd who's never grown up, and yeah, he may he's probably in his mid thirties, but he's never had an opportunity to experience the world outside of running errands for his mom and doing stuff for his mom and seeing his arc develop and and seeing that the 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 duty is at the end when he just throws the medallion and grabs Paquita around the waist you know plants one on her you get this really great evolution of the character uh from Lionel that being said as creepy and as unsettling and as stupid as he fucking is I love Uncle Les he is so gross just in 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 literally every definition and context of the word that you could find he is gross his face is gross he's got the weird like crystal inhaler thing i don't even know what that is but he's using it at the same time and he's smoking but and it's like he's got you know he's got herpes or zits or something so he looks gross he he gets way too close to people when he talks and and he's just and and everything he says is disgusting and i i love the way that they they do that proximity to people because he puts on a like a wide angle lens right uh, i think it's like a 24 millimeter lens or something like that and he 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 that that's what he shoots that with so you get that fisheye effect yeah and it's like whoa 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 take a step back creepy fucking uncle <laughs> yes because like and, and we all have someone like that in our families where it's like yeah no you you got to take a step back i don't give a fuck what you're offering me to drink right now i will take it but you need to move back right, right. Now. and then and then you you know you find out that that just uh, like like i said as a person he's just He's just the skis and he's trying to get the house and the money and everything. He's, you know, every woman that he's ever around, he is just disgusting with. And it's 
just interesting to find a character like that that can be just unsettling and gross, but it's presented in a way that you can still laugh at it and enjoy it. Like it, it could have been real easy for another actor to take that role and make it something where suddenly when he was on screen, it wasn't a comedy horror anymore. Like, and it became unsettling, right. but he was, he was gross and he was funny like and you know when when after the party when he when he's just got the two knives and you just get like the yep. really bizarre like fast chopping scene and then he's just standing there smoking like behind the pile of body parts <laughs> and you're just like I don't understand this guy I I don't know I don't At know all. any of his motivation I I don't get this I mean I do right he wants money and poon but like <laughs> but like but then suddenly but at like, what yeah. cost man yeah <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You know, he was just, he was such a bizarre character that you shouldn't be able to enjoy him as a character. But, uh, but the, the actor who played him, um, Ian Watkin just did such a great job of bringing all of that to life in a way that allowed you to still laugh about it and, and enjoy it. You know, and so I really, really did like him when it comes to the the undead uh, characters, the the greaser dude that from mm. from the cemetery, man, yeah. he was he was relentless. I mean, this guy got split in half. He was full of so much hate and vitriol at this point that his literal guts had a life of their own in, an, in trying to kill Lionel. Like, he really hated this dude down to every bit of his being to where his actual viscera came to life in an attempt to kill Lionel. And and so, but it but it, it the 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 perfect climax of everything he is as a character is when it's just like leg bones and his torso yeah. and he's having to like grab and make himself walk. <laughs> it's so ridiculous, but he was the most relentless zombie outside of Lionel's mother. And so, and you're just, and at the beginning when you first meet him, it's like, what, what is this? Is this guy just like, cause he's like a greaser who just hangs out at cemeteries and beats up, people he thinks might be necrophiles like i'm, I'm very confused is that not where is that not where greasers hang out that's I, that's always what i thought i mean i don't know much about new zealand so <laughs> it's actually it's, it's pretty noble to be that guy looking for True enough. yeah i mean you know when you when you say it that way you're right i mean him and his crew they really did think they were stopping something awful from happening it's dirty work but someone's got to do it <laughs> I mean, if you're going to drink at the cemetery, the least you can do is stop people from having sex with the corpses. Yeah. I mean, it's a fair trade, right? It's like, hey, me and my buddies yeah. get drunk at the cemetery, but we also kick necrophiles' asses. So yeah. are we good here? I'll take a ship. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just, you know, but it, it there's, there's just such a bizarre range of people here. Like, even people who just show up for the party at the end and mm-hmm. – and then you get, you know, you get gnome head guy and, and just, just all these yeah. 
all these bizarrely memorable, you know, it's kind of, you mentioned Return of the Living Dead earlier, right? Like you get these people who don't have names like us, Tar Guy or whatever, yeah. you know, like you just, you, like that's what you end up with in this, in this. You just, and then, yeah, man, the baby. What, what is, yeah. just, just a, a living, breathing garbage pail kid. Yeah. That, I mean, scientifically, medically, <laughs> it's not possible. Right. You know? For starters, zombie gestation period is like a day. That's what I was going to talk about. All yeah. right, so like, let's assume that a zombie could conceive. You know, um, the gestation period here. We're talking a day. Yeah. So like, the, now what happens to the zombie baby? Like, does it grow at such an exponential rate? It and seems like that thing was stuck there like, for a while. Die again? You know, I mean, I it know. was it was walking like a weekend, man. I mean, it was I, already crawling around and tore up that radio. I'm I'm ready to see a spinoff <laughs> with just the fucking baby. Did we actually see the baby die? No. I'm trying to no. remember back, and I don't remember. No. So it's possible. Yeah. yeah. That's that's not, not Peter Peter, ja Peter Jackson yeah. just sits on a throne made of fuck you money at this point. Like, yeah. why not make yeah. that movie? Yeah. I'll see it. That'd be good. <laughs> In fact, like his his company Weta, like could probably just animate the whole fucking thing at this right. point, and like just let it be a proof of concept. Like, yeah, you can make a fucking uh, baby zombie movie, and people will watch it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. oh, I'm, I'm only signing up if it's practical. <laughs> I I only want to see the practical. I don't want to see CGI. Someone, I want to see the real thing. Well, uh, Weta does all sorts of stuff. Um, okay. But but yeah, I did I did say animate. Um, but yeah, Weta kind of picks up where ILM, not that ILM ever left off, but you know, they're, it's kind of like ILM and Weta, like that's it, you know, like right, right. these are like the special effects, like what Stan Winston was doing, uh, like in the early eighties when ILM was like just getting started, like that's, that's what ILM and Weta do today. I mean, it, Jackson is an incredible, credible movie maker. He's not just a director, you know, um, and um, and I kind of see us heading towards this way. So let, let's kind of do it anyway. Uh, let's just jump in there in a section that we're going to call from Skull Island to Middle Earth and back again. Uh, Peter Jackson has had an absolutely insane career. Um, I mean, he is a an Oscar winning director. Yeah. Right. Uh, but on top of that, he's also uh, a director who has won our hearts with movies like Dead Alive. Right. Um, so. Is there anything here in this movie um, from a technical side that you're like, man, that's really fucking cool. Right. And uh, Greg, you kind of mentioned that you're not really like a, like an analytical dude. I'm not sure how, how uh, deep your, your knowledge of like filmmaking goes, but is there anything in the movie that you're like, man, that's really fucking cool the way they did that. You know, So actually I did a kind of a deep dive on this. I watched probably a couple hours worth of behind the scenes and it oh, just cool. the, uh, the the quick cuts were really well done even even some of the cheesier ones i just think back to the uh, punching the girl through the back of the head and kind of like mouth but just the quick yeah. cut you had to kind of pause like, wow that okay that looked you know i'm not perfect but it was pretty good and mm -hmm. then I, oh, I was looking back to the uh the scene when the uh, the guy had the lower half of himself kind of ripped off and it's just mm -hmm. his bones there and he's kind of laying on the ground. It reminded me a lot of uh, one of the transformation scenes in um, An American Werewolf in London, where the body yeah. is kind of below the floor and the, the, the legs are, are there. It just kind of had a similar 
similar look to that. And uh, but I mean, I was actually kind of impressed. You know, that I was watching the behind the scenes of how they cut the guy's head in half. And overall, it wasn't perfect, but for I guess it wasn't as old as I thought it was, but it, it was you know pretty good. I was pretty impressed with some of the uh, what they could do uh, with, with practical effects. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, I think when you when you look at uh, a lot of the stuff here, what you end up seeing is just kind of like you see a lot of seeds of ideas here that that kind of show up a little bit through other things. I mean, the, the most obvious one being, you know, this movie comes out in ninety two, and then fast forward to two thousand seven. We get Peter Jackson's, you know, uh, King Kong. Uh, and so, you know, he, he uh, you know, going all the way back to there, he's like, oh, yeah, no, look, I already made a movie in Skull Island. Might as well <laughs> let me do the King Kong remake, right? So you've got that little stuff. But I think that some of the stuff in the way that that uh, character reactions were were shot and and some of these things that you see come more to fruition in a movie like Frighteners than you do in something like mm-hmm. Lord of the Rings. But the thing that gets me here is, and this is a bizarre connection to make here because they're so drastically different ends of the spectrum. But the way that this movie is scored is yeah. is 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 amazing and comparable to the way that Lord of the Rings is scored on like, you know, just like, like a 10th of the scale. But this was somebody who was very aware of what he wanted to do with music and with score at any given moment. And even though this is the simplest of music playing every time there was music playing in the scene it added to the drama and the depth of that moment and something like that. Then you, you fast forward and now you're making fellowship and it's like, okay, well, yeah, before I had my buddies with three guitars and a keyboard, (laughs) now I've got, you know, the entire Australian orchestra or whoever the fuck scored Lord of the Rings. Right. Like, and, and so he, you know, he, but he moved forward with that. But what we see here is an idea of a guy who understands how much something that simple can add to a scene. When we see the grandmother going back through doing the second tarot reading, because she told she told Paquita, you know, just ignore the oppression card. We've got to move forward. We've got to move forward. So you get this great scene where he's cutting and it's like, it's like, Oh, here they are in the bedroom together. And she flips over another card and it's oppression. It's death. It's the, it's the swords. And you get these great cuts between the mom, knowing something's going on them in the bedroom, her flipping cards and the music that entire time was building so perfectly that that scene ends up being one of the most intense things in the entire movie. And it's guided so perfectly by this score that's bare bones, but it does exactly what it needs to do. And like I said, I mean, you go forward and the, I'm pretty sure the Lord of the Rings scores for at least two of them won Oscars. So, you know, he, 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 he pushes forward on a much larger budget. But what we see here is the idea of knowing how to use what you've got to make your movie even better. 
Yeah, and I I think that that's what this is. It's it's almost like proof of concept that Peter Jackson knows what he's doing. Um, Greg, I think you nailed it. Like I I don't think any effect here is perfect. There's no effect here that's perfect, and I think that the reason for that really is budget because when you're working with such a a small budget you are limiting not just your resources but your time and right. when when your timetable is such that like you're working on like just a, a couple of of weeks really um like you don't you don't have time to perfect these things, you know? So like, not only do you have only enough money to get the effect done once, you only have enough money to get the effect done once. And you have only this amount of time to come up with the effect. Um, so like this movie was made for $3 million. That's that wouldn't have been a lot of money in 1982 to make a movie. Right. Um, so like the fact that we got the sheer number of special effect shots that we get in this movie, it's insane, really. Um, and Jackson knows how, uh, you know, and he would have people to do this, but like he it, it, part of the director's job is also like delegating to the right people. Right. Um, he knows exactly how the sets need to be lit. He knows exactly where the camera needs to be placed to sell the effect. He knows exactly when to cut and switch to the other shot. You know, Greg, you were talking about like those fast cuts in, in the editing. That's not just flow. It's also knowing like the effect is sold at this moment. We're going to cut right here because if you see it for much longer, it's going to start to look like a special effect instead of like some guy got, you know, the bottom half of his, you know, his body ripped off. So um, there's there's a lot of stuff here. And, uh, you know, to, to Jackson particularly work with um, lenses and angles that really makes this movie feel off kilter uh, yeah. because there's there's almost like a, a very weird dreamy quality to this movie that has to do with the lens that he used for uh, for the camera. You know, he uses this wide angle lens the focus is always just a little bit soft and um, it's, it's this very strange look to the movie that you don't often see. Yeah. There um, were times when like trolleys would go by and it almost felt like a toy, even though it was just actual footage. Right. Like it, 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 <clears throat> it just, it, it kept you just, it, it kept you from getting comfortable. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's actually a trick in photography called tilt shift photography where you can make things look um, like toys, you make them look like models um, without it actually being a model. It's a really, really interesting um, effect that is done really by just focusing with a wide angle lens uh, and and just having a very shallow uh, field of focus. So it's it, it's a it's a really awesome effect that sells the idea that this is not the real world. This is some fantasy world where there's a Sumatran rat that was created by rats and monkeys, um, you know, just fucking going to town on each other and, 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 and creating, um, you know, the, the, the best possible version of coronavirus that we could have ever possibly had. 
you know? <laughs> um, and and I, I, I love that Jackson gets that, that he gets this idea that like, this is fantasy. We're just having fun. And, and it feels like it's fun, you know? And, and then li- little things that he knows because he's studied, uh, you know, filmmaking, like actually painting the floor red instead of like having fake blood, you just paint the floor red and then just throw water on it. And right. now all of a sudden it looks like you've got red liquid all over the place. Like brilliant. Like who thinks of doing stuff like that? You know, and it's, it's directors who have worked with small budgets who had to make movies for themselves outside of the studio system. Guillermo del Toro is another master of this shit Yes, because I mean, ultimately, that's really what he does. Like, yeah, he's got his big budget stuff like Pacific Rim. But if you watch something like um, like The Shape of Water, um, that incredible scene where like they're like fucking and swimming in in the flooded bathtub, like there's no water in that scene. Um, it's, it's, it's just masterfully lit and shot so that it looks like it is and and it's 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 awesome it's amazing when filmmakers like get to flex their muscles and it only ever happens because it needs to happen because they don't have the budget for it right. um, and it's it's part of the reason why I don't poo poo you know small budget movies are there a lot of bad ones yeah but that usually comes from the fact that these guys don't really know what they're doing and jackson does yeah I mean, so as, as we've talked about all the things that Jackson does, you know, we, we, we just keep getting to it. When it comes down to it, I mean, there's more blood in the, there's more blood than water in New Zealand, right? When, when we're looking at this movie. I mean, enough gore to fill a transport ship of King Kong and just just fantastic and bizarre ways to kill people. I mean, what is going to stick with you? What is going to haunt your dreams as as you every time you watch this one? What sticks out, Greg? What are some of your favorite kills, man? So uh, this is I got to say, it got to be the uh, strap strapping the old uh, lawnmower to the chest. It was, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, I I felt like this was his way. It's like, how do we go? How do we take Ash from Evil Dead and go further? Mm-hmm. And yes. what's what's better than a chainsaw a lawnmower strap it on her <laughs> chest and go to town i mean just it, even the poses were very kind of ash-esque that he yes was doing. they he, were the, the kind of went on from, the pace yeah it, going from like you said the transition to this from this virgin to you know I, i'm gonna escape from under my mom and now i am chopping people up with a lawnmower just the, the heroic stance everything i mean it was uh that is that is probably the easy answer so well, I, and they, that and stuck they, with me and they, they hit us with the check off gun with the lawnmower too yeah like, they introduced like, it very early here it is, here it is yeah. in act one you know yep it was real quick yep yep i noticed on the um on, on one of the movie posters they have a two-blade lawnmower but in the movie it's a single blade i was like hey not fooling me with that, but but it was pretty cool. <laughs> it was. Uh, I never uh, noticed that. Yeah, um, I, I, you know. I'm I'm with you on the on the Ash Williamsness of of the role, uh, particularly if you look at that first Evil Dead movie. Um, I mean, he's he's very much in the same boat as Lionel, where yeah. you know he's he's not 
he's not the tough guy. He's not the hero. Uh, in fact, by, by all accounts, Scott is really should be the hero of that first movie. Um, and it's just by happenstance that um, that Ash ends up as the hero. But really, he's the final girl. That's that that's that's the role that he fulfills. Uh, and, you know, he, he he becomes the hero by default. Go and back that's, to our that's, catalog for 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 our in depth our, our in depth discussion of that one. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah, we did do that one. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for for me, I think my favorite death is one that never actually happens, and I look forward to it every single time, and it makes me laugh every single time. And it's uh, the baby in the blender. The <laughs> moment that that baby is shoved in the blender, I'm like, oh fuck. <laughs> I can't, and and, and, I, and I always forget, you know, like, like you, like you asked Greg, like, wait, did we see the baby die? I always forget that the we never actually see the baby die, you know. And, and Greg, I've only seen the movie a handful of times, but uh, you know, it's, it's not like, like I, I, I don't know. I've seen Day of the Dead, I don't know, maybe you know, a dozen times. There's nothing that surprises me in that movie anymore. But in this one, it's like it, it's still like, and, and it's always a couple of years in between seeing it. So I'm like, oh fuck. That's right. The baby doesn't fucking die here. But I love that moment when you get the blender and the baby's in the blender. She turns around to hit the switch and and then she looks at it and then the baby's fucking gone. <laughs> it's it's a it's it's a fantastic uh, moment of, of blue balls really is what it is, because we, we yeah. never really get that payoff with the baby. Um, no, we we saw one guy. We saw one head in the blender a little later, but it wasn't the same. No, yeah, it, 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 it the wasn't blender. the same. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't the same. Um, the other kill that I I really like, we already mentioned, um, you know, the missing the legs, but um, the head that lights up with the light bulb yes. once it gets slammed onto onto that sconce, man, that's a great fucking moment too. And then you see the whole head light up. It's it's fantastic. It's a really really great kill. Um, I don't think it's a cop out, Greg to say that the the lawnmower is you know the kill because it kind of is you know um but there there, there are others that i would you know, since you mentioned the lawnmower now you freed me up to be able to talk about some of these <laughs> other ones so, so thank you yeah um i i love uh they i mean for lack of a better word when they de-glove the one dude's entire head oh and just, just, yep. just all the the hair and skin just pulled perfectly off the head, but still kind of alive. And you get the, you get the scream. Uh, I I love that one. I also love how like like we were talking about just this being such a great horror comedy. Just every once in a while, when they give you that really over the top slapsticky moment, we talked about the the scene in the park that's essentially Mr. Bean. We talked about some of the stuff at the top when he's trying to run out of the party and he can't get any traction on the blood floor, (laughs) it's, it is the Scooby-Doo is shit. And I laugh so hard every time it's so, and and it's because, and it just, it just keeps going. It's one of those ones where, where Peter Jackson had the foresight to be like, look, I should, I could show him slip a couple times, but I'm going to show. And then he, cause he, like, he stops and gets some traction and then he does it again. And it, and it becomes, it reaches that point. It's, it's that whole like family guy bit where he likes, you know, hits his shin and, and, it, and he just sits there rocking <laughs> yeah. for like 45 seconds. It's that. And you're just, you're laughing because it's funny. 
and then you're laughing because it's still going. And then you eventually reach the point where you're laughing at the fact that you're laughing so hard at something so simple. Yeah. You know, there are, there are, there are, there are people who try to make comedy movies and who try to make comedy their career who will never do something as funny as 45 seconds of this guy trying to run on a blood covered floor. It's it just that moment gets me every damn time. I love that so much. Um, I think that that you know I I love the fact that like the the, the greasers guts come to life and they even create like a little face with it with the intestines and stuff like yeah. that. And I love how over the top gross the mom is when she comes back. So everybody gets injected with the animal stimulant instead of the poison or whatever. And they all just come back as like messed out versions of themselves, mm -hmm. except for the mom who comes back as basically a hybrid between the mom and the giant rat, which makes sense because she's the only one who actually got bit by the giant Sumatran rat. Yeah. And so she's got the long nails, but then just the giant old lady tits that are like hanging down like around her neck. It's so, it's, it's grotesque. It really is scary for a moment. It's horrifying. And then when you just take the whole thing in, again, remarkably self-aware, they remove the, the fear and the terror aspect of it. And you can sit back and just go, this is, so outrageous and so funny. I just so many of those little things like that are so great. When when he's trying to when he's trying to get him to eat the custard or whatever, and the nurse's head keeps falling back, so he eventually just starts pouring. <laughs> oh yeah, the pudding or the custard or whatever just straight down her throat. Just so many of those little gross out things are are you know on the surface just these horribly gory and disgusting things but again this movie every second of it knows what it wants to be and they all just come out so funny and that's what makes this movie so rewatchable you know we we i always like to mention movies that i think play great in the background at like a halloween party and I, I always try to find those because, you know, when you're throwing a Halloween party, nobody wants to just sit down and watch a movie. So you've got to have something where you don't need to be following the dialogue and, you know, you don't need that much of a story. This movie fits that mold really well. You can be having a party and throw this up there. And if there are people who it's too much for them, and just, you know, go in the kitchen and get another drink, go out on the back porch, you know, where, wherever the party goes. But then you get all of these great set pieces that make for hilarious conversation and just sitting around and, and having a drink and just laughing at how great and how well done this stuff is. And that this movie just is way high on that list of things that would be awesome ones to play at at some sort of scary or Halloween party. Mm -hmm. and, and it comes down to the fact that the gore is so ridiculously over the top that you're you're it never turns your stomach. Even even if you're watching you're like, ah, that's gross. You're still kind of chuckling about it. Yeah. To me it's that this movie is 
basically a cartoon. It's a it's it's a live action cartoon. Exactly. Um, you know, because if if we were to see, for example, a Tom and Jerry, if we were to see that sort of violence done in a more realistic way, it would be like insane. It would be yeah. Stupid. There's no way yeah. we would let our children watch this. And yet, because it's so over the top, because it's a cartoon cat and mouse, because of the expressions on their face, because of the situations that they're in, it's funny, right? Yeah. And that's that's what's going on in this movie where it's like, otherwise you would be like, oh, fuck, that's gross. Like, yeah. turn this shit off. But no, yeah. it's it's not. It's just like, oh man, that was gross. And it was yeah. it, it's it's a great moment where it's like, oh fuck, I can't believe he had to actually spoon the fucking pudding into her, <laughs> yeah. into her trachea. You know, like that that's that's the kind of gross that you want to be. Right. Like, I mean, pure pure gallons of blood, this is gorier than something like Cannibal Holocaust. Yeah. But Cannibal Holocaust is not a movie that I'm going to recommend to 99% of the people that I know, you know, but this is one where I'll be like, look, it's shit's on YouTube now, right? Like, just go watch it. It's fun. Like, I would recommend this to a good number of people. And yeah, like I said, it stacks up gorier than just about anything that we've ever done on this show. Yeah. Um, yeah I'm, I'm, I'm not taking tally here, but uh, <laughs> I, I would agree with that. <laughs> So uh, I, I heard a. Uh, go ahead, Greg. Go ahead, Greg. Oh, so, so I heard a a quote from Peter Jackson, kind of regarding the movie, and uh, what he was saying was, you know, he's not he was not out to set to make this, you know, obviously dark horror movie. He was trying to make basically Monty Python. I mean, it was that kind of over the top. That tracks. And yeah, yeah. Yeah. One one of the things he was quoted, and I, I don't have the quote in front of me, but he was saying basically, uh, mystery is scary. Not not seeing is what's scary. When you see everything in great detail, that's when it becomes funny, and that's what he's showing. He's you're gonna see every. There's no cutaway. There's you're gonna see it, mm-hmm. and that's what makes it funny. It's so over the top. You're like, okay, there's no one that's. This is not offensive to anybody. It's just fun. That's that's a fantastic point, and that's that's something that um, we uh, we actually see a lot in or don't see in the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Um, right. Like it, it has this reputation of being this like ultra violent and, and ultra gory movie. And it isn't um, like there's there's actually very little scenes of violence in the movie. Like It, it is terrifying because of what your, your your mind is seeing, you know, the mind's eye, not not what you're actually seeing. And the the sounds are, I think, the scariest thing about that movie. You know, because you hear the chainsaw and and that is immediately more terrifying than 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 seeing someone get hacked to bits, Uh, which you really only see one chainsaw kill in that movie. Right. You know, Uh, and you don't even actually see the kill because you see it from behind the wheelchair. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, that is I I think. um, Yeah, that's that's brilliant. You know, and, and it's Peter Jackson. So how, how is how is he not going to be brilliant? Right. Yep. <laughs> um, he himself into the movie. He was the Undertaker's assistant. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I, I also love that that he he does have a knack for putting he, he puts himself in his movies in like these like 
these these degrading like roles, right? Like he, he never like he never makes himself the hero or or somebody really cool in the movie. You know, he's always just like, oh, there he is. Like, and he's just like, you know, get beat up for being incompetent in this one or whatever. Yeah. Well, it's like Hitchcock, you know, he's always just some dude walking by. Yeah. You know? But right. but when you see him, it's like, ah, there's Hitchcock, you know, there he is. Uh, so this I didn't recognize this... him for the first few times around at all. I, <laughs> well, I he, he he looks so there's different. There's no beard on him back he's, then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no beard. Um, you know, he didn't have the long hair and mm-hmm. uh and he's thin. And he was a way smaller yeah. dude. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's he's thin. You know, he's he's a big dude these days, has been for for quite a while. Yeah. Um, you know, and w- when I think of Peter Jackson, who I think of is is the guy with the long hair and the beard who's, you know, right. uh in an ill-fitting tuxedo at uh, <laughs> at the uh, at the Oscars, you know that's that that's what I think of. Not you know the the svelte-looking dude that, that we see in this movie, um, you know. And if I was fucking Peter Jackson, you know, I'd I I wouldn't give a fuck what people think about the way I look either, because I'd it's, be that that brilliant and that successful as a filmmaker. What the fuck exactly. do you care? <laughs> um, so that leaves us really with just one thing left to do, uh, which is rating, rating this movie. Um, and uh, Greg, you you are um, a, uh, a first-time guest, but I know I don't need to explain this to you, but for those that are listening or watching for the first time, um, the way that we do ratings here on Shiver is that we never rate a movie against another movie. We only rate it against itself. And because of that, we don't give stars. Uh, and we don't give the same rating for everything. So it's not like we're giving like, you know, a, a, a bloody knife or something to everything or a, or a skull or something like that. Every movie gets a unique rating. Now, um, the other thing that we do here is anytime we have a guest, we like to give the guest first dibs on what the metric for the, the rating is going to be. So, Greg, have, have you thought about what you would like to use as our metric for our rating? Yeah, you know, I think uh, there's no way you can't go with the zombie babies. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> you, you can't not go with zombie babies. Yeah, uh, so, yeah. Greg, out of a possible five zombie babies, how many zombie babies do you give this movie? So, you know, initially, uh, I this movie is exactly what it's supposed to be. It is perfectly imperfect. Mm. Um, yeah. It is, I don't, you know, down to the, uh, the, the, the Nazi guy giving him the, uh, oh, the was I mean, it's, it's so obscure. <laughs> it's, I, I, I wanted to say, let's give it like a 4.9 just to be that guy, but it's, it's a five. It's a five zombie babies for me. Um, <laughs> there's, it, no, it's, it's, it's five. I don't want to be the, uh, the guy so now it's a yeah. five. look i i've you know I, I i well shit at this point i you know i've had 10 months to sit on this one uh because we like i said we were going to do it last november and uh, watching it again last night for all of the reasons that we've said and, and greg I, I think that i think that you nailed it with with it it's perfectly imperfect i, I think that you know, I open this by saying that this movie is incredibly self-aware. It knows exactly what it wants to be. And je- when, you, when you just look at this movie and what it wanted to be and what it accomplished, 
I don't think it's fair to give it anything but five out of five zombie babies because I really can't find a fault in this movie that that is that is anything worth deducting points for. It's funny, it's gory, it knows what it wants to do. It's got a it's got a great character arc. It's got it's got some great psychology worked in there. It's, I mean, it's exactly what I want it to be every single time. So I'm going five as well. Um, yeah. And I, Greg, you really did knock it out of the park with, with, with that statement. It is perfectly imperfect. Um, it doesn't need to be perfect either because you're not watching this movie f- uh, to learn the craft of special effects. You're not watching this movie to learn the craft of film editing or um or or how to light a set you're watching this movie to have a good fucking time and anyone who watches this movie it doesn't have a good time is not someone I, I i want sitting next to me watching this movie right you know um and not for their sake for my own sake fuck that guy get out of my house <laughs> right leave leave the beer you brought yes. but you can get the fuck out now thank you um yeah and and that's that's really what this is about you know so it, it's five zombie babies for me yeah. So there you have it. I mean, across the board, that's unanimous five uh, zombie babies for Dead Alive. Uh, if if you are watching, listening, and, and you've not seen this one, then and, and you've stuck with us, then there, there's no way that this has not enticed you to see this movie. And like I said, mm-hmm. even if uh, it is it is almost impossible to find streaming anywhere, but I found it on YouTube uh last night because yeah. when i watched this last year i rented it on amazon but it's not even on amazon anymore mm-hmm. um so but you can find the whole thing at a blu-ray rip on youtube so i mean just throw it up on the tv and enjoy it it's a lot of fun uh greg thank you so much for suggesting this yeah for coming man, on man you. you've been great uh, i hope you've enjoyed it oh man thank you guys so much for having me man this is yeah as, as a fan this is a pretty cool experience so <laughs> very cool well guys. Well, we are very happy to have you. Um, For anybody else who may be listening, make sure you head over to shiverpod.com where you can find links to all of our social media outlets. We are on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter, all at shiverpod. Links to all those can be found at shiverpod.com. You can also uh, shoot us an email at shiverpod at gmail.com. If there's anything, if we ever mention something and you just can't stand the way we said it or whatever, you know, shoot us an email. We'll, shit on it on the air i'm sure but we'll we'll talk about it um also if you are in the florida area and meeting dave or me is something that you would like to do we have firmed up and confirmed all of our plans we are going to be at spooky empire on october mm-hmm. 27th and 28th and 29th right it's like a friday saturday sunday yeah uh, we are going to be in Orlando for Spooky Empire. The guest list just keeps getting more and more stacked. Uh, very excited. I believe it's the 20th or 25th anniversary or something of Spooky yeah. Empire. Um, so they, Robert England's going to be there, Kane Hodder. You can go to SpookyEmpire.com and find the list. Um, we're going to be there. And if you are somebody who knows about Spooky Empire or knows people involved, Reach out to us on Shiv- uh, at shiverpod at gmail.com and let us know. We would love to do a live recording of the show or some sort of panel or something. So if you have any ends with the people of the Spooky Empire, uh, shoot us a message and let us know who we can talk to about maybe getting a panel. Yeah, yeah, that, that would be a lot of fun. Um, and then for next week, 
we are continuing our summer fan fest and um we are going to have on uh a repeat guest and longtime fan ish from the Better Let Me Tell You podcast. Uh, and we are going to be talking about uh, what he calls the beginnings of his horror fandom with uh, I am. I can't believe I'm saying this the first Nightmare on Elm Street movie that we're doing here on Shiver. We have never done a Nightmare on Elm Street. I know. It blew me away when I thought about it when you texted me about that. Yeah. So we're going to be doing Nightmare on Elm Street 4. We're going to be doing Nightmare on Elm Street 4. It's a good one. Uh, it might be the last great one, I, I think, in the Nightmare uh, series. Um, and you can fight me on that because, um, you know, I'm right. Um, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm really excited to do this. Um, Ish is also called Dibs on Nightmare 2. Uh, okay. Which, which I'm, I'm, I'm cool with. Um, and that's another one I like. That, that one gets shit on a lot. And, and, and I think it shouldn't. So, Warriors um, is too. Uh, no, Freddy's Revenge. Freddy's Revenge. There we go. Yeah. Um, Dream Warriors is three. Three. Yeah. Uh, Dream, Dream Child, Child is four. Is four? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, f- I forget the the names of these things. Freddy's like, Dead is five. New Nightmare yeah. is six. Yeah, yeah. Um, just like Halloween, I always forget the Halloween ones. Like, which one is like Return of Michael Myers? I think is four, and then there's Revenge, might be, and then Curse is six. Yeah, I think that's right. I don't know. Um, it's too late, and I haven't had enough to drink. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. So, Greg, thank you so much for being here. Is there anything you want to plug? Uh, no. Okay. I got nothing. So. All Appreciate right, there you, guys, you go. This yeah, no, listen, it's it's just as fun for us. You know, we 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 love having guests on here. We love talking horror. We love uh, we love meeting people. So uh, so this this was fantastic. Thank you, man. We had a fantastic Thank time. You guys. Uh, and on behalf of all of us here on Shiver, fight you very much. <laughs>